All right, let's jump right in uh, to our message. We're, we're actually on week three of our Encountering God worship series, um, so we're kind of moving right along. Um, if you weren't here last week, we, we basically introduced our scripture that we're going to be using, kind of our text uh, that we're going to be using to kind of help us as we go through this to kind of see um, some, some examples, some modeling that we have in scripture as far as it comes to worship and what it needs to look like and, and things like that. And remember, I just want to say this every time I get in front of you, this is not about style, this is not about this is how you should do it. This is not a five-step plan. This is, this is a transformation of our hearts. This is understanding a little bit more about what God is doing in us and through us during worship. So this isn't about, you know, if you're, if you're going to be sitting there going, oh, he's going to tell me we should do this song or that song or this style or that style or this volume or th- this volume. That's not what this is about. This is about experiencing Father. This is about encountering God in our worship and through our worship. And so we were looking at 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse number 18, and that's kind of our, our, our verse, our, our, our theme for the, the entire series, and it's quite simply this, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Last week, we talked about but we all. We talked about how now, because of what Jesus has done, we all get to experience the presence of God. We don't have to wait. We don't have to let one person go in once a year and experience Him. We always get to go and always get to experience it, and everybody gets to go. And so that was last Last week, this week, we're going to focus on with unveiled face. And when we talk about with unveiled face, really what we're going to be talking about is that worship is a place for transparency. Worship is a place for transparency. So we're going to focus on that section this morning, and then later on we'll go on and talk about more next week. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you. You are so good. And Father, right now, my words have got to stop, and your words have got to begin, because your words are powerful, change lives, make make mountains move, do all these amazing things. And my words, quite honestly, sometimes are just loud and annoying. What I need and what we need is for your words to exit. So Father, I pray that they would exit my mouth, that my words would cease, that you would increase and I would decrease so that people can see you and what you desire to do inside of them. Because you are good, you have great plans, you have great things in store for us, and we love you so much. We love you so much, and you're so good. In Jesus' name, amen. If you look at your notes, you're going to start to see kind of a theme. We're going to be talking about veils today. We're going to be talking about this understanding of, of, of veils and, and how they affect our worship, how they affect our lives. But the first thing I really want to talk about is the veils we put on during worship. The veils we put on during worship. Now, now when I talk about a veil, we're going to talk in a minute about kind of what those things look like and kind of how they express themselves in our lives, through our worship, and through kind of even our relationship with God. But we do put on veils sometimes when we get into God's presence. And what type of veils do we wear? What type of veils do we actually put on? Now, remember, a veil, especially a veil during this time period and during their culture, is this thing that they would put on over their faces. A lot of times, um, it would basically cover everything except their eyes. We see some of these examples today in in some uh, Islamic cultures and things like that. We see kind of the veil idea here. And basically, this is kind of this idea. As Paul is writing this to the Corinthian church, he's kind of trying to say, listen, listen, we, we all go into God's presence, and now we get to unveil. The problem is... We get to unveil because of what Jesus has done. The problem is, is we walk into God's presence and we put our veils back on. We put our veils back on. And we don't have to, we don't need to. But the first thing I want to talk about is what type of veils do we wear? What type of veils do we actually put on over ourselves, over our heart, that keep us from really experiencing the closeness and the intimacy that God wants to have with us? The first one is the veil of sin and shame. 
Sin and shame. Look at Genesis. We're going we're gonna to be kind of all over the place. If you have your notes, hold on to those. We're going to be jumping all over the place. So that's going to be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible or you're not quick enough with your fingers on your phone. But we're going to have that up there. It says Genesis 3, 8, it says this. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. They is Adam and Eve, okay? Adam and Eve are in the garden. They, at this point in time, have sinned. They've, they've, they've taken the fruit. They've, they've had some problems, obviously, because of that. And basically, here's the situation. He says, they hear the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Here's the thing. Sin and shame cause us to hide from God. One of the things you're going to hear me say, one of the things you have heard me say is we don't do shame here. Shame is not of God. Shame drives us from God instead of conviction that drives us to God. And when we sin and as human beings, when we messed up, even going back to the very first mess up, we basically hide from God. The one person that we need, the one person that can fix it all, the one person that can do it all for us, we run and hide from. And more than that, we, we clothe ourselves, we cover ourselves up. I didn't put it up there, but there's a portion of scripture where they, obviously they realize that They've sinned, they're shamed, they've realized they're naked, so they grab leaves and they start to cover themselves. It's funny how when we mess up and there's sin and shame in our lives, we try to hide from God. We put stuff over it. It's like, oh, God, you're not going to notice. How crazy are we? Listen, I mean this in the most loving way because I'm a human being too. We're not real smart. Okay? We've messed up. God knows everything. He knows where we're at. What do we do? We hide. He knows we've sinned. He knows we've messed up. What do we do? We put leaves on us. It's like God's not going to notice. We're going to be like, uh, hey, God, what's up? And God's looking at us like, seriously? Really? But that's what we do. We put on that veil. And a lot of times, here's what happens, okay? Let's get into more practical stuff. We walk in. John is here, or another worship person's here, or wherever you might be going to church, or however, and, and we walk into God's presence, and we're invited into God's presence, and our reaction is, no, we can't go into God's presence because of what we did throughout the week. But I messed up. I can't do this. No, 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 listen, listen. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because of his great love, because of his forgiveness, we can walk boldly into the presence of God. Now, boldly to me is not this. Can I, can I come in? Is that okay? Is that all right? That's not what the scripture is saying here. Boldly is like, I'm here. Let's go. I'm ready. Wow, that was loud. Sorry. But that's what we're seeing. That's what the scripture is communicating. But sin and the veils that we wear, it, it makes us not want to be so close. It makes us want to stay back and hinder it at the outside instead of really letting it go and really letting us experience God. The next one is the veil of pride. Oh, my goodness. The veil of pride. We're almost like, you know, I'm too big or I'm too important or I'm too spiritual to allow myself to experience the fullness of God. Listen, hear me here. Okay. Pride devastates your relationship with God. Devastates it. Like, like there's certain things that I think that we can, can do, and, and, and yes, they always affect. Don't misunderstand me. They always affect. But pride is like one of those things that as you start down the road of pride, it will always lead to disaster. And I mean not like little disaster, like Sodom and Gomorrah disaster in your life, spiritually speaking. We can't let it happen. And a lot of times we walk in and, and it's almost like we can't allow, and this just sounds weird because you would think that we know better. We can't allow God to really do in us what he wants to do because we think we got it all together. 
We think that we don't need God to touch our lives. We think that we've got all our stuff right where it needs to be instead of letting God shine a light on our lives and say, listen, there's some areas here I want to deal with. There's some things I want to help you with and make a difference. The next is the veil of concealment. The veil of concealment. Listen, uh, uh, Genesis 29. Now, this is an interesting story to me. Even as a kid, I remember hearing this story and being like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. In Genesis 29, we have a very interesting story. Jacob has been, uh, he's run away now, okay? So I'll kind of give you the setting here. And he's, he's met this guy, and he's basically fallen in love with his, da- with the, his daughter's name. The daughter's name is Rachel. And he's very excited because he goes to the guy and he says, listen, um, he starts working for him. He says, listen, as payment for my working, here's what I want. I want to marry Rachel. Her dad says, no problem. Work for me seven years. Now, all the guys in the room, okay? Let's be honest. We love our wives, don't we? You better say so because they're right there and they'll hit you, okay? Okay? We love our wives. If I had gone to, if, if I'd gone to Emily's dad, I asked Emily's dad, can I, you know, ask for her, his permission to, to marry his daughter? Uh, can you imagine what would have happened if he would have said, that is fine. Uh, he owns a construction business. And so basically you get to build houses with me and large parts of, you know, things for seven years and then you get to marry Emily. I would love to tell you that I would have been, oh yes. Seven years will be like seven minutes to be with your daughter. I probably kind of would have been like, okay, we need to rethink this a little bit here. I don't know how I feel about all this, especially, and especially because I'm not real handy. So, I mean, probably me working on a house would have caused it to collapse, not actually, you know, I'm much better at, you know, not construction, I'm destruction is more where I'm at. And so he goes, but he, he says, listen, you work seven years for me, you can marry my daughter. So the Bible says he does, and he begins to work, and he's like, oh, and it literally kind of says, oh, it's just flying by, because he's so in love with Rachel. So he works seven years, and then he goes to his, basically, he's going to be his father-in-law and says, hey, I've worked for you seven years. I'm ready. Let's get this thing going. He says, no problem. And that's kind of where we pick up the story. He says, finally, the time came for him, me and Jacob, to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban, and now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. Now, this is a beautiful thing, okay? We're at the wedding. Everything's wonderful. And then we hear this. But that night, when it was dark, I love sometimes the Bible's descriptions, Laban took Leah, which is Rachel's older sister, to Jacob, and he slept with her. Now jump on to verse number 25. It says, but when Jacob, you want to talk about a bad morning, okay? When Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged to Laban? I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? I remember as a kid going, now wait a minute. Even as a kid, I one day I'm going to meet this beautiful girl. I'm going to marry her, and I'm going to know what she looks like. How did the guy not know? Well, two reasons. Number one, it was dark. Number two, culturally, they wore veils. They covered themselves. They concealed who they really were. And so because of that, this trick was able to happen. Listen, sometimes we do that with God. We'll put our veil on. Why? Because we don't want God to know who we really are. 
It's like we want to sit there and say, no, 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 I'm going to trick God. I'm going to keep God from getting into those areas of my life that I don't want him to get on. You ever seen a magician? Aren't those fun? They drive me crazy. But here's a little trick. I'm going to ruin magicians for you. Well, just kind of slightly. They'll always do this, especially when they're doing sleight of hand stuff. They're going to get you to look here. They're going to say, look over here. They're going to get it somehow for you to focus here while everything's happening right here. That's what they do. And it's almost like we do that with God in our worship. It's kind of like we kind of want to conceal that and go, hey, God, look over here. Yeah, God, see, see, I'm good. I'm happy. Everything's going good. When really all the world's going down the toilet over here. And we think that God isn't going to see that because we don't want God to intervene in it. Why? Sometimes because of pride. Sometimes because of sin or shame. But we got to get past that. we got to be willing to take the veil away and not conceal those things, but instead bring them into the light and let God do something amazing in us. The next, the veil of hurts and disappointments. Oh my goodness, this is huge. And it's not just hurts with, with, with God. You know, like God will do something that we don't understand, or God will go take us down a road that we don't understand, but it's also hurt with people. People will hurt us. People will do things. Can I, can, I, can I help you with something here? Listen, do not, I command you. That sounds stupid, but don't put your eyes on me. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fail. I'm going to let you down. Listen, you have no excuse now. If you come to me and say, I can't believe you did that. I'd be like, listen, uh, on the 21st of October, I told you not to. I told you I'm going to mess up. I'm probably going to hurt you. Now, do I wake up every morning and go, how can I hurt them? No, come on. But I'm human. God's still transforming me. And a lot of times hurts and things, it separates us from God because we, we put those hurts on God. We sit there and say, well, God, if they're following you, how could they do this to me? And I've seen it time and time and time again of people who allow that to keep them from God. So it's not just hurts and misunderstandings and confusions that we have with God. It's also hurts and confusions uh, we have with people. I mean, think about it. How many people have you met that have such a hard time seeing God as father because their own earthly father wasn't perfect? And it keeps them from him. Listen, we're all going to get hurt. We're all going to experience those things. We all do. It's part of life because we're, life is messy and it's, and it's, and it's just this hodgepodge of imperfect people doing some sometimes, let's just be honest, some really hurtful, dumb things. But our God isn't that way. Our God is above that. Our God is bigger than that. Our God's love is perfect. Where sometimes our love for each other isn't. And we can't let that keep us. We can't let us that veil and that separation and that wall come through. And the final one I want to talk about is the veil of fear. We get afraid. What if, what if God asks me to do something I don't want to do? What if God is, is calling me to do this? What if God this? What if God that? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And we let that fear keep us from experiencing the fullness that God has for us. I don't want those things to affect me. I don't want them to affect you. But here's the deal. Here's the thing you're going to have to understand. There is going to be a cost of removing the veils. The next point, there is going to be a cost for removing the veils. Look at Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, we see this really uh, beautiful story. Now, this is after Moses has been on Mount Sinai. He got the tablets. He came down. Everybody's having a party around a a golden, you know, cheeseburger, basically. Um, That's how I see cows sometimes. 
food. And they're partying, and Moses breaks the tablets. He throws them down. He goes back up, and basically now we see um, this happening where Moses goes back, okay? So that's kind of where we're at. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord, okay? So let me give you this idea. He's in God's presence. He's speaking to the Lord, and his face is literally radiating the presence of God, Okay, it is a tangible, physical expression of God's presence. Okay, and it's basically blinding. It says so when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. Let's jump on to thirty-three and thirty-five. This is perfect. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. Okay, once again, we see this covering. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, check this out, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow on his face. So he would speak, so he put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. And so here's this idea. There's going to be a cost, okay? When you get into God's presence and you begin to take off these veils, you're going to open up things for things to happen. I, I think it's interesting here because in this scripture, what we're seeing is when Moses is not in God's presence, quote unquote, he has the veil on. When he goes into God's presence, he takes the veil off. When he takes the veil off, and we're going to see this a little bit later on, we see this, this, this closeness and this, 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 this unbelievable Lord just speaking and helping and directing and doing all these things. But here's the thing. If you take it off, when you, what will it cost you? Let me tell you, what's going to cost you something? But let me explain to you what it's going to cost you to unveil it. Because I want to kind of lay it all out for you, okay? I want you to understand all these things. So what is it going to cost you? To unveil in his presence. First of all, it exposes everything before him. Okay? When you unveil, it exposes everything. Everything you got. All the secrets, all the, the stuff that you don't want anybody to know about. All the stuff that only you and God knows about. It exposes it all. It puts it all out there. And it lets it all just be, here it is. Listen, I, you know, we talk about freedom. And we talk about what God is doing and all those types of things. You know one of the most freeing things to ever do is to walk in the presence of God, drop everything, all the stuff, put it out there and say, God, there you go. And watch God go, wow, that's, that, is, that is, wow, I love you. Even through that. You see, we, we keep things back because we, 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 we don't know what God's going to do. We don't know how God's going to respond. But it exposes everything, and that's hard for people. Think about Facebook. Think about uh, Instagram. Think about all these things. Why are those so popular? For lots of reasons. But one, I would dare say, is because we can put on a face, and we can show people what we want them to see. We're not exposing everything. Very rarely do you see on, on, on Instagram, yes, I took this picture of me. I was up all night puking my guts out because I am sick and have the flu. Um, I have a sty in my eye. My hair is going all over the place. And I thought I'd take this picture so you could see me. No. What do you see? The trip to Cancun. The picture of our son holding his report card with all A's. You know, have you ever seen that before? Tell me, have you ever been on Instagram and see, here's our son who we are very well pleased. He's flunking out. No, because we don't want anybody to know. Exposure is kind of not a thing that we like. It's something that is interesting and it carries sometimes over into our heavenly father. And so it's going to cost us something. Next, it allows him free reign to address, to address anything and everything. Listen, it's not just about exposing it. It's not just about putting it out there. It's saying, God, here it all is. Help. 
Here it all is. I need you in this. Here it all is. I got to have your help in this. It's allowing God the freedom to say, we need to deal with this, and we need to deal with this, and we need to deal with this. And sometimes our pride doesn't want that to happen. Sometimes our pride says, oh, you know what, God? It's not that big of a deal. But it separates us from him. Listen. One of the great things about worship, I was talking about this with the worship team this morning, is sometimes, in some ways, worship is like taking your, is like taking your heart into the garage. Okay? Like, like a real, like, not your garage at your house, but like a, like, like a fix-it shop. And being a willing to let God sometimes give you an oil change, or give you a full heart overhaul, or do something inside of you. See, that's sometimes what God wants to do during worship, in that closeness. He wants to say, listen, listen, you gotta understand something. I love you. I will always love you. I will always be there for you. However, there's an area in your life that is causing us to be separated, and I don't want to separate it anymore. The song John sang, which is so perfect, is this idea of, of walls being built up. God wants to rip those walls out. He wants to come into your heart and say, listen, there's an area here that's keeping me from really wanting to pour out everything that I have for you. Let's tear the wall down. And when you open everything up, you basically say, God, here I am in all my not glory. I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to fix me. I need you to come in and do something that only you can do. And the next thing, the final thing, and there's other ones, but these are just the three I put down. It brings us to a place of decision. You see, when we throw it all out there and we let God, through his spirit, kind of turn on that spotlight on those areas of our life, really what we're doing, we have to make a decision in that moment. And that's this. Does God know what's best for me or do I know what's best for me? Does God really have his, my best interests at heart? Does God really have a plan for me that is good, that is to bring me to a place to know him and experience him and to grow in him? Or is God just some mean person who's just trying to find my faults and say, how dare you? How could you? Which is it? Are we going to allow him to do that in us? In a minute, we're going to talk about some other things. Listen, are we going to allow him to do the things that he needs to do? Because here's the thing, and I mean this sincerely. Sometimes it is going to hurt. It's going to hurt bad. Well, God doesn't want to hurt us. No, no. Let me help you with this. When I was a kid, okay, some of you will relate to this amazingly well. I remember as a kid, my mom had this most horrible, vile, brown bottle in the medicine cabinet. It was, it was, I, I, I thought probably I should call child services. It was that bad. It was hydrogen peroxide. Even now I shudder at the thought. And I remember as a kid, because I'm, I was a boy, and that means, you know, scraping your knee and running around and doing silly things. And I would come in. I remember one time I was riding my bike and I took a corner a little too sharp. And I realized that anytime concrete comes in contact with human skin, concrete always wins. And so I had a big old all across my knee. So I come in, you know, crying, but trying to be all manly because I'm seven and that's what you do. What happened? You know, like, like, mom, help, you know, kind of a thing. And she's like, oh, it fell. Oh, okay. And, you know, and you would think my mother would have looked at me and said, it's okay. And she would have taken me in her arms and held me close. But no, she said, I'll be right back. 
Notice I'm telling this story the week my mother is not here, okay? She runs upstairs. What's she get? Band-Aids and that horrible brown bottle. And she takes my leg and she places it out. I'm convinced at this point it is probably just this is the worst situation ever in my life. And she goes, okay, it's going to sting. Thank you, Mom, for that unbelievably wonderful word of wisdom that you're going to give me. What she, you know, yeah, you, know, you think a little bit of dab, a little bit, just do, 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 do. No, she puts it in a 10-gallon bucket and dumps it on my leg. What happens? I'm sitting there going, ah, ah, you know, my mom, oh, I love my mother. And she makes the comment, well, you know, if we don't do this, okay, I don't know, mom, seriously, do you have a class that you go to to say all these things? Is it, or, did God hardwire you this way? Because this is what you all say. Well, you know, if we don't clean it out, it's going to get infected and we might have to cut your leg off. <laughs> and you all know it. Every single one of you, your mom's like sitting there going, oh, I don't say, yes, you do. Yes, you've thought of it. You've th-. And, and so she, she sees it. And, then, and you know what mom does? You know, it's burning. It's on fire. It feels like I need to just remove my leg from my body. What's mom doing? Because, of course, that's helping. And she's, then she takes me in her arms and holds me. And here's the thing. Sometimes, listen to me, hear me. Sometimes when we allow God in our worship and we unveil and we let him do all this stuff, we have to make a decision. Are we going to let God pour peroxide on those areas of our heart that need to be cleaned out? And look, I know it's going to hurt. Some of those things, can we just, some of those things you guys have been holding on for a long time. They're deep. And they're festering. And I know it's going to hurt for God to reach down in there and deal with it. I know. And I know you're going to have to trust me on this, but maybe just don't trust me, trust God. But the pain will be worth it. The healing will be so great and it will be so encompassing that it'll be worth it. But you have to make that decision. You have to say, God, I am allowing you to come in and do in me what only you can do. It's not fun sometimes to get that peroxide poured in, but it changes everything. So let's talk about really what it changes. We'll talk about this, the final thing, the benefits of worshiping with an unveiled face. The benefits of worshiping with an unveiled face. First, there's a new level of intimacy. There's a new level of intimacy. When those barriers are removed, when the veil is pulled away and we come before him with an unveiled face, with who we are, intimacy comes about. Look at Exodus 33, verses 11. In Exodus 33, it says this, inside the tent of the meeting. Now remember, inside the tent of the meeting, uh, Moses would go and get to take the veil off, okay? Inside that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Listen, you've got to understand the Hebrew here. You've got to understand what's being communicated here. You could not speak face to face with the presence of God with a veil on. It had to be removed. It had to be taken out. And when that took place and he walked in, he was able to speak to God face to face. If he had kept the veil on, he would not have used this term. 
He would not have written it this way. He may have said he spoke to God, but we would not have seen this closeness and this intimacy. You see, that's what God wants for us. That's what God desires in you and me and him is this understanding of intimacy, this intimacy, this idea of closeness and this idea of being able to walk in and experience him. Nothing covering, nothing keeping us, nothing, nothing, no walls built up that keeps us away from him. Jesus came and he died and he bled and he rose again so that we could experience God that way. Stop putting the veils on. Stop. You want a closeness with the Father? Take the veils away. You want, you want to speak to God as a friend? Take the veils away. Because when you do that, this is the result. And it's awesome. Next, there's a new level of healing. There's a new level of healing. Look at Psalms 103. Starting with verse 1 and 3, listen. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. In Psalms here, you see this idea of praise and worship and all these things. And then understanding that he does all these things. That he brings that healing and he brings that, that, that unbelievableness that God brings. Look at Psalms 147.3. It says this. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. One thing you got to understand about God, God doesn't just heal the physical, God heals the whole person. God doesn't just heal your broken finger, God heals your heart. God is a holistic God. He believes in healing every part of us. And sometimes we do, we go to him and we say, somebody is sick in body and we pray and that is good, right and true. But also listen, when was the last time you prayed for somebody whose heart was broken? Because God heals that. He binds up the brokenhearted. And when we come to him and we put it all out there and we say, God, I am hurt. God, my life is, 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 is in a bad spot. All these things are happening. God can come, and he comes in, and he begins to heal. And listen, as I was putting this message together over the last couple weeks, there was just one thing that kind of kept going back and back in my mind, which is usually an indication that God is speaking to me very clearly about something. So I want to hit this really quickly, because I really feel like God is wanting to speak specifically to some individuals that are in this room right now about healing. And that's quite simply this. You have been carrying around hurt, and you've been carrying around things that took place, some of you about a year ago, some of you even longer ago than that, and you have been trying to deal with these things, you've been putting veils on, and you've walked into God's presence, and you said, God, heal me, but you've kept God at arm's length because he, he did something you don't understand. He did something that you can't figure out, and God is basically telling you this morning, listen, I know you're not going to understand. You're not always going to figure me out, but I love you. I have a plan for you. Come and let me heal that deep, deep thing inside of you because I'm the only one that can. But one of the reasons we take the veil off so everything can get healed. So God can work down in those deep, deep areas. Because let's be honest, what do we usually cover up? The stuff way, way down. The stuff that we don't want anybody to know about. The stuff that really we're dealing with and we've got this turmoil in our hearts. We walk into this place with people that love us and care for us and want to be there for us. And they say, how are you? And we say, fine. And we lie to their face. I'm not saying every person you walk up to, they ask you how you're doing, you need to pour your heart out to. You get what I'm saying? But there are people that God has placed in this place that you know and you are friends with, that you have a relationship with, that God wants to use them to bring about some healing in your life and really uncover some of those stuff. But if you walk in with a mask, if you walk in with a veil into this place, you're kind of basically telling God, God, this is off limits. You can't touch this. This is mine and my issue. It's like we live in that place. It's like we've made our address in that hurt and in that, that 
that, that place. And it's like we say, God, I'm going to live here. God, God did not have you to live there. God has something better. And God wants to bring forth full healing, emotional healing, physical healing, all sorts of kinds. Next, there's a new level of knowledge. There's a new level of knowledge. Look, look at Exodus 33. Okay? Look at Exodus 33. So, so this is a really cool portion of Scripture. I really like this, okay? Basically, in this area, Moses has asked God, I want to I wanna know you. I want to know your presence. I want to see your face. He's basically telling God, I want to experience you. And so God says, listen, um, if you do that, you see my face, you'll die. And so he basically makes a way. And we're not going to get into exactly all this because there's so much to unpack there. And we're not really going there this morning. But, but basically, this is a portion of Scripture where this begins to happen. It says, Moses replied in verse number 33, or verse number 18, excuse me, chapter 33, then show me your glorious presence. Now, what an awesome prayer. Then show me your glorious presence. Verse number 19, the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. Now, jump to verse chapter 34, verse number 5 and 8. So he basically tells him what he's going to do, and this is when God actually does it. It says, then the Lord came down in a cloud, And stood there with him, and he called out his own name. He called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out this, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins on their parents, upon their children and their grandparents. Their entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Now check out what happens in verse number eight. After God has expressed all this to him, basically this is what happened. Moses said, Immediately, not later, not after I think about it, Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped. You realize that this is like the first time that we have in Scripture where God actually tells us who he is? You want to know who God is? That's who God is. This is God talking us about himself. Yeah, God has revealed himself. He's spoken to Abraham, but we never see Abraham saying, God, show me your presence. Show me your, this is like the first time. This is like God's first opportunity to be like, this is me. This is who I am. And this is what he says. And worship comes out of that. Listen, when you know more about God, the more you know about God, the more it should drive you to worship him. If you know a lot about God, but you're not a worshiper, I love you, but hear me here. I don't know if you really know God. You may know about him, but I don't know if you, listen, follow me here. Check this out. I don't think you know him. Listen, you know my son. You know Easton. You see him running around. But listen, hear me. You don't know. God has called us not to know just about him, but to know him. And there is a big difference. And when we know him, when God begins to express who he is in our worship, it should drive us to it. It should not cause us to, listen, listen, hear me here. This is going to sound weird. Sometimes when God reveals himself, that is not the time to go, hmm, let me ponder that for a second. It is time to immediately worship. 
Because God is that awesome and God is that big. Listen, I love knowledge. I want you to have knowledge. But I, and I want it to be a part of our worship in every way, shape, and form. But it should drive us to worship. We don't worship knowledge. We don't worship what we know about God. We worship God. And the more we know, the more we worship. Next, there is a new level of hope. Look at Hosea 2.15a. There's a new level of hope. I will return her vineyards to her. This is, this is God speaking to Israel after Israel has gone away, okay? You got to understand that. I will return to her, her vineyards to her, and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Listen, you are not going to find hope in any other thing, person, place other than God because that's what God was is to us and no one else was created to be that. Listen, I, I, I've heard people, oh, if I can just get married, it, you know, you're putting your hope in a person and it's never going to work out. Oh, if I could just have this job or if my kids could just be this way or if I could just do this. Listen, you are putting your hope in things that were never intended for your hope to be in. Our hope is in God and him alone. He is our hope. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is who we need in every situation, every circumstance. Yeah, God brings things and brings people to be a part of that. But you've got to understand, follow me on this. They are icing on your cake. God is always your cake. And the bottom line is a lot of people fill up on icing. And they run around like a chicken with their head cut off, spiritually speaking. There's no direction. There's no nothing because they're on a sugar high because they have no substance. And I know cake is not necessarily the best idea here, but go with me. He's our hope. And he brings us back to that place when we come to him totally unveiled. And the final thing, there is a new level of radiation. I love this. There's a new level of radiation. Exodus 34. It says, when Moses came down, we read this a little bit earlier. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. Worship team, you want to come on back up? Let's we're to close with this. Listen, you know what I find? And I'm just going to be honest, and I'm not talking about just our church, but I'm talking about church in general. There is a lack in our world today of Christians that radiate the presence of God. And here's the thing. When you see one, you know it. When you see one, you know it. And it is such a stark contrast that I'll be honest with you, sometimes it scares you. I knew a guy back in Albuquerque, and, and John and I were, were friends with him, and he was an older gentleman, and he was amazing, and he just radiated. You know who I'm talking about. He radiated God's presence. And it almost would like kind of bother you. It was almost like, what do you want? You get what I'm saying? It was almost like, no. I remember when I first met him, I'm like, dude, that guy's fake. I was such a jerk. That guy's fake. Nobody can be happy like that all the time. Come on. And then I got to know him and I went, oh my goodness, he's just radiating Jesus. You see, when you get in God's presence and you take the veil off and you experience him and you walk out of this place, God is doing that for many, many wonderful reasons. And one of them is because there's a lot of darkness in this world and we need to start radiating the love and the light of Jesus. Come on. We got to start radiating it because the bottom line is we walk into restaurants, we walk into work, we walk into school, we walk into pastor's office at times. That's me. I'm talking about me. And we're not radiating nothing. Why? Why aren't we radiating? Because we haven't been in God's presence enough. 
Why? Why do pastors always harp about being with God and experiencing Him in worship and in prayer and daily and reading my Bible? Why, 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 why? Because it's vital. Not just vital to you, but it's vital to other people. I mean, think about our world right now. Goodness sakes. What do they need? They need Jesus. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. They need him. They need him and they need us to be a reflection. Listen, can we just be honest? And I know I feel in this a lot, okay? So this isn't a, how could you? This is a, we all need to do better. When was the last time? And I mean this. This sounds kind of cheesy, but go with me. When was the last time someone kind of looked at you and went, Like, I can't put a finger on it. When was the last time? God's called us to be different. God's called us. He he says in his word, we are a strange, peculiar people. Why? Because to the world, we don't make any sense. When somebody passes away, we mourn. But we mourn like those with no hope. When our world is going in crazy, spinning nuts stuff, we have peace. Why? Because we have peace when when we can't even understand the situation. Several years ago, I was playing softball in Albuquerque. I was playing with a group of guys that actually worked with my dad when my dad lived in Albuquerque. They asked him to play softball, and he said, no, I'm good. I said, but my son would. And they said, oh, great, yeah, have him come. And I played with them all year, and I never told them what I did. Because sometimes when you tell them you're a pastor, people kind of get a little weird. And, And these guys didn't know Jesus, okay? And they were awesome guys, and I loved playing with them. And, and I just lived. I just experienced life with them. I was there and listened when one of them was found out his wife had just served divorce papers. And you know what? Listen, and you may think I'm a horrible person, but I didn't pray with him. He said, why, Aaron, why did, how could you? Because God said, don't pray with him right now. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was just living life with them. And I did that for a couple years. And finally, it was like one of the last games. And I'm walking to the field with one of these guys because they were disbanding the team. It was like our last game. And finally, this guy, like this light bulb comes on. And he goes, what do you do? Like he kind of finally realized that I didn't go to work with them every Monday. And I just said, oh, well, I'm a pastor. And he was walking in the street. Please don't do this in the street. And he stopped, just stopped, like somebody had, had shot him. I mean, just boom, stopped. And he looked over to me with his mouth wide open, like, huh? And then he kept walking. And as he walked, he looked back and had a little grin on his face. And he said this. I thought it was something like that. walked in to the dugout and of course we're guys so we're always razzing each other and he goes hey guys guess what Aaron does and I'm like oh no oh no this is gonna be bad you know guess what Aaron does he's a reverend which I don't do that I don't like it and they kind of like what you're you're a pastor and I'm like yeah and it was like watching all these guys these light bulbs come on 
And they all had this, 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 this same kind of thing because as we left, we all said goodbye. Their response was all the same. There was something different about you. I couldn't put my finger on it, but there was something different. Now, was I perfect? No. Did I do everything right? No. But hopefully, hopefully I was in God's presence enough that I radiated him and they didn't even know for sure exactly what the radiation was. They just knew it was something different. And I have prayed for those guys and I believe with all my heart because of that situation, there are going to be guys that God is going to use that and he's going to take another step and another step. And those guys, some of those guys are going to be in eternity with us. Why? Because hopefully there were people that radiated Jesus. How's your radiation? You see, one of the reasons we do this is not just so that you get to experience God and not just so that you can bring your sacrifices and bring yourself before God and have him do all this stuff, which is so good and awesome. Oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. But it's also so when you leave this place and you go out into a dark world or a dark family or a dark school or a dark workplace, that people literally are like, what is going on with you? That's what God does in his presence. He lights it up. He lights us up. Let's pray. Listen, let's just pray, okay? I know there's a lot here to digest. I, I know there's a lot here that, I mean, listen, there is, there's just a lot here. And I could spend the next 20 minutes talking about each specific thing, but I don't need to do that because I just truly believe that God's spirit is going to do that for me. We talked about healing. We talked about radiation. We talked about just just opening ourselves up to God. Listen, right now, I'm just going to pray. Spirit, whatever you need to do in us, please do. Father, if there are people that need healing, Father, I pray that they would open their hearts right now to that. Father, if there are people that have kept you at arm's length and have built walls, Father, I pray that you would break those walls down and that you would help them to experience you. Father, for those that just need to be in your presence because they lurk, work, live, breathe in a dark place and they need some radiation to shine off of them. Father, I pray that you would just bathe them in your presence and your spirit. Father, there's so much. And Father, there's stuff I don't even think about or didn't say and things that your spirit got free will, free reign. Whatever you got to do in us, whatever you're doing in us, please open our hearts to it and do it right now in the name of Jesus. Do it because you love us. You desire us. You want us to come into your presence. You want us to boldly come in and experience you. You want us to rip the veils away and say, no, 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 no. I don't have to come in here covered. I don't have to come in here in shame and sin and fear and and hurt. I can come in here all that I am because you have made a way for me. Because I have been made righteous in your sight. My sin is gone. My shame is gone. My hurt is gone. All of it's been removed from me as far as the east is from the west. And I can boldly come into your presence because you love me. Because you're proud of me because you desire me because you look at me and say that's my son that's my daughter in whom I am well pleased not because of who we are but because of who you are because what you have done so father right now I pray that you would begin to work you would begin to heal you would begin to move you would begin to do those deep deep cleansing works those deep deep things that you desire to do in us right 